how we doing here at It's Family? It is so good to be with you, and whether you are here in Bettendorf, you're in Rock Island, Kiwani, or maybe you're dropping in online, I want you to know I am convinced that you are here for a reason. And if you're a guest with us, my name is Justin, and I'm the campus pastor here at our Bettendorf campus, and I want you to know right up front, Heritage is not a perfect church, but what we are is an imperfect people who are chasing after an authentic relationship with Jesus. And you see, that's why when we gather in spaces like this on weekends, that that we engage the Bible, God's word, his love letter to us. And I'm humbled and honored as we step into that conversation today uh, to be a part of that with you. Now, last week, we concluded a series of conversations that we called, Can I Ask That? And it was in these conversations that we engaged scripture and looked and wrestled with real questions that came from you, that came from me, uh, the rest of the Heritage family. And I'll tell you, that series was powerful. And if you missed any part of that, I encourage you, jump online, check it out. Because we jumped in the deep end on issues like heaven and hell and salvation. And why is there broken and suffering in the world? Why do, why do bad things happen to good people? We talked about mental health and suicide. We even talked about what does it look like for us as followers of Jesus to navigate the complexities of some of the hot button cultural issues in a way that honors God and that makes him known. And now today we're actually going to step, step into a new series that we're calling Family Octagon. You see, a, a good swath of the questions that came in from you and from I uh, had to do with our interactions uh, with each other, our, our relationships with one another. You see, we had some questions from parents that were asking uh, questions about, how can I get my children to obey me? Every parent in the room said, amen. Like, that's my question right there, right? You know, we had another parent that said, my teenager hates me. And how can I help them? We, on the flip side, we had children who were asking questions about their parents saying, how can I love and honor my parents when they're making decisions that are hurting me? There were questions from some of us who were married that were just going, what does it look like for me to honor God in the context of my marriage? Or, or another one that's real is, how do we utilize the moments where we fight and disagree to actually bring about resolution and move us forward rather than leave us in a place of division? great question. Some of us who are maybe navigating the, the singleness season of life, there's a question that came in just like, how do I honor God in the midst of my singleness and, and in the midst of my dating relationships? And that doesn't include the, just the significant questions with those of us who are navigating family and friend relationships or that are just divided and broken and messy and disconnected. You see, that's really the heartbeat of the Family Octagon series of conversations that we're going to have throughout the, the month of October is that we hope by engaging this conversation and looking at what does it look, really look like to fight for what matters most, that maybe some of us today will get answers to the questions uh, that we have been wrestling with. Now, the octagon is, uh, is an illustration that some of you may be familiar with. Here's the deal. The octagon is more than just an eight-sided shape, okay? That's part of it, right? Like, yes, got that answer right. That's good. But the octagon is actually a space, some people call it the cage, where two people walk into the cage with one goal in mind. And that is simply to, to either knock their opponent out, to have their opponent submit and tap out, or when the clock hits zero, to be the one whose hand is raised in the middle of the octagon and declared the victor, right? Because they know if they have their hand raised enough, over enough number of matches, they'll be deemed the what? The champion, right? They'll be the champ, and they'll have the, the nice shiny belt around their waist that they can flaunt and show that everyone, they're like, look, I got it going on. I'm the champ. Now, it's interesting because I think that illustration actually fits our relationships really well. 
Because our relationships many times can feel like a knockdown, drag out struggle, can't they? Even those that we love the most, those that we're closest to the most, and many times it can feel like an absolute fight to the finish. But yet we look at scripture and it's so clear that God has created us for intimate relationships. You know, in some ways, um, I think it'd be interesting if we actually got championship belts for our relationship success. But how many of you know that doesn't happen, right? I mean, think about it. This is like if I was the husband that came home after a long day of work and I went out and I mowed my lawn and like, well, got it going on. Or there's the rare occasion that I actually put my own clothes in the hamper. Like, what if I, what if I did that and there was a little pause in the action and I was handed just a little bit of a championship belt? You know, and I could walk around and flaunt it and like, yep, husband of the year right here. Like discount hubby check. You're seeing it right here, right? <laughs> it doesn't work that way, right? Or Fridays are my day off and, and maybe I decide, hey, I'm going to stop by McDonald's, get a happy meal. I'm going to go meet Maddox at Hoover Elementary where he's at. And, and I go in and I interact with all the kids and, and I love on them. And they go, oh, you know what? You are a championship dad right there, you know? Look at you. You're awesome. Or maybe there's that friend. Let's just be honest. We all have a friend that at times can be just a little bit of a pain in the bottom. You know what I'm talking about? Like they walk through that season where they're just really moody or, and the, you know, they're just, you know, like sucking you dry and you just kind of want to go, I'm going to cut this relationship off. But what if, man, if we were like good friends and we said, you know what, I'm going to listen and I'm going to walk with you. And then at the end of that, they go, oh, guess what? You are a championship friend. And what if we could walk around our neighborhoods and our workplaces and we could just show off our belts, right? Like just with a little swagger. Like I got it going on. Look at this. How many belts do you have, right? But that's not how life works, is it? You see, the things that we fight for in life, a lot of times that matter the most, don't come with a championship belt. You know, to be a great dad doesn't come with a championship belt. The sacrifice comes and you have to make decisions and have hard conversations and nobody's there to pat you on the back or, you know, to, to love your spouse. Uh, even when it seems like it's really hard and they're unlovable, man, you don't, get a, you don't get a belt. Or that friend that you deal with and that you love and that you care about, even when they're just, man, they just drive you bananas. We don't get a belt, do we? But you know, like as we look at scripture, there are things that are just incredibly important that God has literally created us and wired us for. But most of the time, those aren't areas in which when we fight for them and we achieve them, that we get some kind of recognition. And so even though that winning a, a title belt isn't on the line, there is one thing that's worth fighting for that really is the backbone of this entire series of conversations. And it's simply that relationships are worth fighting for. Relationships are worth fighting for. That relationship with your spouse today, whether it's really good or right now you're in a space of brokenness, hear me, your marriage is worth fighting for. Parents, that child that you have that you're having a hard time connecting with and it's just, what are they doing? They're running headlong into destruction. Listen, that relationship with your child is worth fighting for. That friend that's just driving you bananas or that, that neighbor that's just getting on your nerves or that relationship with your parent that you just seem like you're doing this all the time. Hear me, those relationships are worth fighting for. 
And it's actually Jesus is the one that told us that. This wasn't a great idea that we came up with. It was Jesus that said relationships are worth fighting for. You see, there was this interaction in Mark 12 where the religious leaders come to Jesus and they, they say, okay, Jesus, out of the entirety of the Old Testament, what, are the, what is the most important commandment? And look at what Jesus said in Mark 12, 30 and 31. He says, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. This is the first law. Like we're in church. We got the church answer. Love God, love Jesus, right? Some of us got that right. But then he goes on in verse 31 to say this. The second law is this. You must love your neighbor as yourself. No other law is greater than these. Jesus says, I'll boil it all down to two. Love the Lord your God. Love me. Pursue me. But then love your neighbor. Love your spouse. Love your friend. Love your child. Love your parent. You know, I think it's interesting that we step into this series of conversations on what is the ultimate fighting championships UFC 229 event, right? Like, this is the one where the, if you've been listening, they're like, this is the biggest UFC event ever! It's kind of like the local, like, um, furniture store that's having the biggest knockout, blowout sale of their life. Don't miss it! And then the next week, they're like, it's the bigger and most knockier out sale of the year, you know? Like, it kind of reminds me of that interaction. But this weekend is UFC 229. It's, it's when, when Conor McGregor's going to take on the undefeated champ, Khabib, blah, 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 whatever the last name is, right? <laughs> and I mean, this is for the lightweight championship of the world. I mean, the belt is on the line. This is a huge deal. I mean, I was watching this week just the commentators debating, like, who's going to win? Who's going to take it down? Is it, is it going to be the, the superstar striker, Conor McGregor? Or is it going to be the tenacious grappler, Khabib? I mean, it was like this back and forth. Who's going to win? Who's going to, I mean, who's going to take the belt down? I mean, they, they went to painful lengths to even unpack the, the tail of the tape is what they call it. Looking at who has the advantage. Oh, hey, McGregor weighed in 154.5 pounds, and, and, and Khabib was at 155. Does that mean McGregor's in better shape? Does he have the advantage? Will McGregor be rusty because he stepped out for two years to box? Can Khabib handle the, the left hand to the jaw? Can, can Connor deal with the tenacity of Khabib? Can he keep, stay off of his back? I mean, it was crazy. They're, they're back and forth, like unpacking this match, this fight. But here's what I know about this fight. And what is also true of you and I is we seek to have the fight for healthy, thriving, transparent, life-giving relationships. And it's that this fight and the fight that we walk into when we get into the octagon of life actually starts well before that fight was ever on the calendar. You see, it's the fight that began right here in their mind, in our minds, how we view ourselves. You see, in the story with McGregor and Khabib, it started, I don't know, years ago. When they looked in the mirror and they thought about themselves, you're a champion. You're a champion. That's why Conor McGregor says in his, in his Irish accent, like only he can, he's like, I fear no man. He says, if you breathe oxygen, I do not fear you. I mean, you can hear the testosterone just like bubbling up, right? I mean, a little bit of arrogance, I got it, I hear you, all right? But what it illustrates for us is how we view ourselves matters. How we view ourselves matters. Look again at uh, Mark 12, 31. When Jesus says this, he says, you must love your neighbor as what? You must love your neighbor as what? Yourself. Yourself. How we view ourselves matters. 
Now, do me a favor. Right where you're at, I'm going to ask you to take out your smartphone, all right? Um, those of you who are guests, I told you we're not a perfect church. Like, we actually bring the phone out every once in a while, all right? So it's okay. You can do this. I know that you were told not to do this. So get your phone out. Do me a favor. Put in your passcode. And then I want you to go to your camera app, all right? Those of you who have iPhones, it's really easy. You just like swipe up and you hit your camera, all right? Those of you who don't have iPhones, I can't help you, but I will pray for you, all right? Like that's part of what we're going to do. All right, so you there? Everybody there? You got your camera app? Now I want you to hit the button that flips the camera into what I call selfie mode. And let me ask you, what do you see? Some of you said, I see myself. Like, that's a really good start, okay? <laughs> Some of the ladies, you're fixing your hair. Yep, right here. Yeah, and your makeup. Listen, ladies, your makeup is on point. You look amazing, okay? Let's just clarify that right now. Okay, so back to your phone. Look at yourself and look yourself in the eye. And let me ask you again, what do you see? Maybe a different way to ask that today is, are you proud of what you see? Or maybe today, are you disappointed in what you see? Maybe as you look at yourself in the midst of your phone or you visualize yourself looking in a mirror, you hear the voices of people in the, over the course of your life who have, who have said things about you that aren't true, that you've embraced, and you believe that about yourself. Maybe that's what you see when you look in here. Maybe you're embarrassed with what you see. Or you're insecure. Listen, regardless of what you think about yourself when you, when you see yourself. The reality is, is that person that is staring back at you in the midst of your phone or looking at you in the mirror, hear me, that person is the common denominator in every single relationship you'll ever be a part of. And how you view that person matters. It's significant. It's important. Okay, now you can look up. Some of you are like, I love looking at myself. This is good, all right? <laughs> But here's the deal. How we view that person matters. And it's significant because of this truth of how we see ourselves influences how we see others. How we see ourselves influences how we see others. Hear me, if, if when you look at yourself in the midst of that phone or in the midst of the mirror and you feel like that person looking back at you has no value, guess what? You're going to spend the entirety of your life in relationships where you're going to look to other people to affirm that you have value and worth. If the person that you look at in the midst of that phone or that mirror you don't think is smart enough, you're going to spend your entire life in the context of your relationships trying to prove that you're competent, that you belong. If you view the person in that phone or in that, that mirror as somebody who everyone else is better than, guess what? You're going to begin every relationship from a posture of defeat. One in which you're going to go, you know what, you win. I'll just, I'll do whatever you want. For some of us, when we look at that person in the mirror, we go, man, if there's something bad is going to happen, it's going to happen to that person. We walk in the midst of feeling like we're a victim, and here's what happens. If we approach every relationship and every scenario that way, then we'll never be able to take ownership for the things that we need to own and be able to change that. Others of us, maybe on the flip side, you look at the phone and you're like, that dude is a stud muffin right there, right? That guy's poop doesn't stink. He's got it all together. <laughs> and maybe you're in a place where you're just, you're a little arrogant. You get a little bit puffed up. And here's the thing. If you view yourself in that way, you'll never be able to treat people with the dignity and the respect that they deserve because you will constantly be looking down on them. 
how we view ourselves matters. And that's why throughout Scripture, Old Testament to New, it speaks about the importance of viewing ourselves in a way that is sober-minded and that is humble. Here's a couple examples. First is in Romans chapter 12, verse 3. This is the Apostle Paul speaking. He says, I ask each of you not to think more of himself than he should think. And he says, instead, think the right way toward yourself by the faith God has given you. Think the right way. Not, not too highly of yourself, not to be arrogant, but also the right way in that you're not viewing yourself as, as scraps, as garbage. He's saying, think of yourself the right way by the faith God has given you. Jesus actually illustrates this point later on um, in Luke chapter 18, verse 9 through 14. He goes on to, to share a story, and it's a story about two men who walk into a temple. One is a, a Pharisee, and the other is a tax collector. And these two men come into the temple, and Jesus kind of zooms in on the Pharisee first, and, and he says the Pharisee stood up, and he lifted his hands to heaven, and he prayed, Oh Lord, thank you that I am not like other people. He said, thank you that I'm not a thief, I'm not an adulterer, I'm not like that tax collector right there. Then Jesus flips the camera and it comes to the, to the tax collector. And it says that the tax collector stood at a distance. It said when he prayed, he wouldn't even look up to heaven. And he sat in the back looking down, beating his chest saying, have mercy on me, O God, for I'm a sinner. And this is what Jesus then says in verse 14. He says, I tell you, this man, the tax collector, the one that wouldn't even look up to heaven, it says, this man went back to his house forgiven, and not the other man, not the Pharisee, not the one who was all puffed up, thinking how amazing and religious he was. This is what Jesus says, for whoever makes himself look more important than he is will find out how little he is worth. Whoever does not try to honor himself will be made important. Because relationships are worth fighting for. And how we view ourselves matters. And how we view ourselves, whether in a healthy way or an unhealthy way, impacts everything and every relationship around us. Because you and I are the common denominator in every single relationship that you will ever have. And this is where we then begin to embrace uh, another lie. And it's this lie that, that we can't let people understand or know how we're really feeling about life or about ourselves. We feel like in our relationships with other people, in the context that we find ourselves, we have to put on the facades and put on the mask and, and, and do the, go about life in the happy, clappy, confident, got it all together kind of mentality. But this is destructive. And it kind of leads us to this sober truth that I want to look at together. It's a sobering truth that choosing to hide, choosing to hide behind the mask, choosing to hide behind the facade, choosing to hide behind the happy, clappy, confident, got it all together in every relationship where we're at, choosing to hide creates separation. Choosing to hide creates separation. It's kind of like when Jesse, Maddox, Ava, and I play hide-and-seek, right? Like, they hide and I seek because I'm just not great at hiding. I'm a little bit different body style than they are, and they hide really well. But, but when they go and they hide, and I count to whatever number, in their effort to run away and hide, it naturally creates physical separation, doesn't it? And in just that same way, it's the same thing that happens for you and I. When we try to hide behind masks and facades, when we try to pretend that everything is great in the context of our relationships, this is why that facade that we put on when we go to work, that, ooh, we're confident, I got it together, I'm going to knock this out, I'm competent, you know, it's when that facade is affirmed and, and it's like celebrated, it's why, man, that feels good for us. 
But there's this little voice back here saying, yeah, but if they really knew who you were, they wouldn't admire you. They wouldn't love you. It's why it's so destructive when when one spouse hides something from their loved one or their spouse. Whether it's an addiction or it's a, uh, something else or a relationship or something going on. Any moment that a spouse hides something from their spouse, even if they never find out about it, it inherently creates separation. It creates division and brokenness in the intimacy that they encounter. It's why parents... When we're disciplining our kids and, and they haven't done, any, done something right or something we've asked them to do, it's why when we're not willing to share with them in the midst of that moment, that there's been moments in our life where we've made mistakes. I had to do this this morning with my son as I'm disciplining before I came to church. And I said, buddy, I had to correct what was going on, but I said, listen, there's been moments when daddy's messed up. There's moments when daddy hasn't listened. But when we as parents put on the perfect parent facade, that's why our kids can't connect with us. That's why we feel distant and we feel separated. Because choosing to hide creates separation. But listen, the opposite is also true. You might want to write this down. Choosing to hide creates separation, but choosing to be known, choosing to be vulnerable. Some of you just heard the word vulnerable and like threw up a little bit in your mouth, and I understand that. But choosing to be known leads to intimacy. Choosing to hide creates separation. Choosing to be known leads to intimacy. And that's the context of the relationships that God throughout Scripture has literally said He has created us for and wired us for. Here's a couple examples of those passages of Scripture. The first one is here in James chapter 5. James is Jesus' brother, all right, that worships Jesus as Lord. That's a proof that he's God, if you ask me, right? And so anyways, he says this, James chapter 5, verse 16. He said, tell your sins to each other. Some of us just said, time out. I'm tapping out right there. I'm done. Don't do that. Listen. Listen to the rest of the verse. He says, tell your sins to each other and pray for each other that you may be healed that you may be healed, that you may experience a depth of intimacy and relationship, both with that person, but by the way, with the Lord. Because he goes on to say, the prayer from the heart of a man right with God has much power. The Apostle Paul kind of speaks to this later on in 1 Corinthians chapter 2. And, he, and he's taught, this is the Apostle Paul who's like the juggernaut of the faith. He's the one preaching to the masses. He's the one planting churches all over the known world. And it ultimately has rippled out to you and I being able to worship and gather in these spaces. This is a guy that's supposed to have it all together. If there's somebody that should put on the rock solid mask, it's this guy. But look at what he writes to the Corinthians, 1 Corinthians chapter 2. He says, I came to you in weakness, like hold the phone. Time out. What are you doing, Paul? Don't say that. Listen to what he says. He said, I came to you in weakness, timid and trembling. He says, and my message and my preaching were very plain. He says, listen, I'm not, I'm not trying to pretend that I'm somebody that I'm not. I'm not trying to do the little quirky thing so that you like me and, and you think I'm really smart and all that. Well, Paul is really smart, right? He says, my message and my preaching were very plain. Rather than using clever and persuasive speeches, I relied only on the power of the Holy Spirit. Even Paul is saying that to choosing to be known leads to intimacy. And he's saying, listen, I don't, I don't have it all together. I came to you in weakness and fear and in trembling. Even Jesus Think of Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane and in Matthew chapter 26 when he's just hours from being betrayed. Jesus brings his disciples with him and in this moment he looks at his disciples and he says, listen, my soul is grieved to the point of death. Will you pray for me? Will you keep watch with me? Even Jesus is in a space where he's saying, listen, I'm going to be vulnerable with you guys. I need you to pray for me. 
I love how the pastor and theologian and author Tim Keller says it. He says this. He says, to be loved but not known is comforting but superficial. To be loved but to have the facade up and the mask up, that's superficial. But he goes on to say, to be known and not be loved is our greatest fear. That's why we put on the mask, isn't it? Because we don't want somebody that really knows us to reject us and not love us. But then listen to what he says. But to be fully known and truly loved is, well, a lot like being loved by God. And I love how he concludes here. He says, it is what we need more than anything. He says, it's what we need more than anything. You see, relationships are worth fighting for. How we view ourselves is worth fighting for. Choosing not to hide but to be known is worth fighting for. But I know this weekend as we gather, many of us in the room don't like what we see in the mirror. We don't like what we see in our phone. And almost all of us, maybe in some way or another, there's a spot where we have a mask on where we're hiding. And I want you to know today, it's costing us. It's costing us. It's costing us the intimacy that God has created us for with relationships with others. It's costing us the, the peace and the, the, law, the sense of belonging, like we're truly accepted, truly loved, truly known, truly belonged. And it's costing us. But we don't just do this in our relationships with people, do we? We do this in our relationship with God. We try to hide and we try to put the mask on. And, but hear me today. This next truth that we're going to look at, if we can grasp this, it can not only transform how we interact in our relationship with the Lord, it can literally transform. If we allow it to inform how we view ourselves, what we think about ourselves, it can change every single relationship in their end because it can transform you and it can transform me. And as a result, our relationships can be different. And here's what the truth is. It's simply that God knows us completely. God knows us completely. That's right. Every single part of you, God knows. He knows the things that are good and right and true and noble. And he knows the things that, that are messy and dirty. He knows your failures. He knows your sin. He knows your addiction. God knows us completely. But here's the incredible thing. Even with that being true, he loves us. You see, God knows us and loves us completely. He knows us and loves us completely. Do me a favor. I want you to close your eyes right where you're at. And I'm going to read a few passages of Scripture that I want you to know are true about the person that you looked at in the phone, are true about the person that you looked at in the mirror. First one is in Jeremiah 31, verse 3. It says, The Lord came to you from far away, saying, I have loved you. I have loved you with a love that lasts forever. So I have helped you come to me with loving kindness. God says, I love you, that person in the mirror, that person in the phone. I've loved you with a love that lasts forever. And then in Zephaniah 3, he says, For the Lord your God is living among you. He is a mighty Savior. And then listen to this. He will take delight in you with gladness. With his love, he will calm all your fears. He will rejoice over you with joyful songs. It says he will delight in you. He will rejoice over you. In the New Testament, 1 John 3, he says this. It's true about you if you're a follower of Jesus today. He says, see what great love the Father has for you. That he would call you his child. 
And that is what you are, his child. You see, today, if you're a follower of Jesus, you are a child of God. If you're not a follower of Jesus today, listen to me. He still loves you. He's just longing for you to come home. You see, those scriptures speak about a holy, righteous, perfect God who loves you, who values you. In fact, one scripture says that he considers us his masterpiece. We're the ones he wants to put on display. And yet he knows that we're imperfect. Why? Because sin messed that up, didn't it? But he expressed his love for us in sending his son Jesus to die on that cross for you and for me. And that's why the gospel is such good news, is that even though we messed it up, and man, we did we ever mess it up, is that he loves us and he sent his son Jesus to die for our sin and for our shame. And he says, if you place your faith and your trust in me, he says, I will forgive your sin. I will save you. And then scripture says, I will make you new. And I love that picture. That's the good news. That's the good news. And that's why today we can say, listen, relationships are worth fighting for. How we view ourselves informs how we engage in those relationships. So how we view ourselves is worth fighting for. That's why it's worth fighting not to hide, but to actually allow yourself to be vulnerable and to be known. It's why choosing to, to allow what God says about you and believes about you to inform how you believe and what you believe about yourself. That's why it's worth fighting for. And that's why we're having these series of conversations because we want to live out the intimacy and the sense of belonging that God desires for us. But it starts with you and it starts with me because we are the common denominator in every single relationship. So you may be asking, so what? What do I do with that? And, and as we talk about really fighting for the things in life that really matter, I want to give us just a couple training tips so to speak, all right? So every week we do something we call like a so what moment. These are our, our training tips, all right? So if the goal is to win the battle, to, to win the fight for healthy, authentic relationships, there's some elements of training that you and I have to engage in. Now, any of you who train, in fact, there was a Quad City Marathon a couple of weeks ago. Some of you ran in that. And you know that if you train for an event like that, the training plan, when you look at it on paper, can kind of look simple. Hey, I'm going to get up and run. Great, right? But, but it's not quite that easy, is it? And so the things that I'm going to share with you, they may sound easy, but if we seek to live them out, they are incredibly challenging. But my word, the result is worth it. And so the first training tip I want to point us to this weekend and call us to is simply to embrace who you are. Embrace who you are. I mean, I want you to embrace your gifting, the things you're good at, your personality, what you're passionate about. I mean, all the good stuff. Yeah, let's embrace those. But hear me, also embrace the imperfections doesn't mean that you're not going to be in a posture of wanting to grow and aspire to, to develop in those areas. Hear me. I think that honors God's heart. But the first step for us is to simply embrace who we are. Brene Brown uh, wrote a book called The Gifts of Imperfection. I love how she said this, and this is what she said. She said, let go of who you think you are supposed to be and embrace who you are. She said, let go of who you think you are supposed to be. Let go of the mask that you think you, th you have to put on to go through life, to interact with people. Let go of who you think you're supposed to be and embrace who you are. You see, throughout Scripture, there are moments where, where God speaks very clearly about who we are and what we, what we are. And one of those is found in 1 Peter chapter 2. It says this, it says, But you are the ch ones chosen by God 
chosen to tell others, uh, tell others about his work, to, chosen to the high calling of priestly work, chosen to be a holy people, God's instruments to do his work and to, and to speak out for him. You are chosen to tell others of the night and day difference he made for you from nothing to something, from rejected to accepted. Embrace who you are. Other passages of scripture call you a child of the most high God. I mentioned he calls you a masterpiece. He calls you significant. Literally says that he has chosen you and appointed you to, to bear good fruit. I mean, throughout scripture, God's love and purpose for us is abundantly clear. And if we would just embrace who we are, we can take steps to thriving relationships. But here's the deal. There's always gaps in our life, isn't there? There's areas that maybe we want to improve or there's gaps and places of brokenness in us. There's places of brokenness in our relationships. And that's where this second tip comes in is that when you encounter those gaps, let Jesus fill the gaps. Let Jesus fill the gaps where there's an area of brokenness in you. There's an area of discontent in you. Let him fill the gap where there's a relationship that is divided. Don't look to somebody else to fill the gap. Don't look to your spouse or, or to your child or to a friend or maybe your marriage is, is struggling. Don't look to that woman at work who was affirming you or that man that's giving you affection at work and telling you how great and beautiful you are. Don't look to them. Look to Jesus to fill the gaps. There's brokenness and pain and hurting. Let Jesus fill the gaps because when you let him fill it, you let him do the work in you. Those relationships and spaces of brokenness that you thought were so far gone can be transformed. See, the Apostle Paul had an area in his life that he was crying out to God to transform and to change. There were gaps in him that he wanted to be changed. And Scripture says that he called out over and over and over, asking God to take them from him, to heal them of those things. And this is what Paul says in 2 Corinthians. He says, each time, each time I asked, each time I begged God to fill the gap, each time I asked him to take it away, it said, he, God said, my grace is all you need. My power works best in weakness. So now, listen to these words. I am glad to boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ can work through me. Paul says, there's gaps, but I'm letting Jesus fill the gaps in my life. And that's the same for you and I. As we have these conversations about fighting for what matters, fighting for what matters most, fighting for relationships, I know that most of us have gaps. And we're tempted to look at other things in the world to fill them, but don't do that. Look to Jesus to fill the gaps. You see, there's things in this life that we fight for. But my prayer for us as we engage in these conversations in the weeks ahead is that we will be positioned to get into the octagon and to fight for what matters most. And relationships are worth fighting for. How you view yourself is worth fighting for. Choosing to be known and not to hide is worth fighting for. Choosing to embrace what God says about you and how he feels about you and letting that inform how you view yourself is worth fighting for. And so let me ask you this weekend, what are the areas where Jesus is inviting you back in the octagon to actually fight for what matters? What is the Holy Spirit stirring in you today as whatever your next step is? What is the mass that the Holy Spirit's inviting you to take off and to allow Jesus to fill? What are the relationships that are broken around you? And maybe ask the question, what is my role in that? What is the area where God wants to transform how you view yourself so that he can transform how you interact 
with others. See, in a moment, I'm going to create space for you just to have a moment to reflect on maybe some of those questions or maybe something else that the Holy Spirit is, is stirring within you. But as we do that, I can think of no better way of reflecting on just how valued and how loved we are than by taking communion together. You see, communion is a sacred moment for us personally, but also collectively, in which we are reminded of God's great love and value toward us that he sent his own son Jesus to die for us. So in a moment, our worship teams are going to come and they're going to begin to lead us in worship. And as they do, our ushers are going to come forward and they're going to distribute the elements. They're going to do that by passing a plate. And I encourage you, as that plate goes by, if you are a follower of Jesus today, to take both cups. There's a double stacked cup. There's not just one cup, there's two cups. How many? Two cups, all right? I want you to take those if you're a follower of Jesus. Or maybe you're in a place today and you're like, you're hearing this idea that God knows you completely and he loves you completely. And you're saying, today's the day I want to step into relationship with Jesus. I want you to take those two cups and hold them while you turn over your teaching outline and look at those few sample steps in a prayer that you can step from death to life into relationship with Jesus this weekend and take communion for the very first time. For those of you who need a gluten-free option, we have those in the back of our worship centers. But it's my hope that you'll grab those elements. And as you look at the, the, the cup that has the bread that symbolizes Jesus' body broken for you, Ask yourself, how much must God value you to give his son to hang on that cross for his body to be broken for you? As you look over at the juice, I encourage you to ask the question, how much must God, the creator of the ends of the earth, the everlasting God, how much must he love me that he would shed his own blood for the forgiveness of my sins? And listen, when you're ready, I encourage you to take the elements whenever you're ready. No one's going to prompt you. But as you take them, let it be a moment of worship in which you acknowledge and confess that you believe that God loves you and values you just as you are today. But may it also be a moment when you commit to fight the fight, to view yourselves in the same manner that God sees you as one with value and as one that is loved. So as we step into this moment, I want to read a scripture. And as I do, I want you to visualize that face that you saw looking back at you in your phone. The one that you look at in the mirror day in and day out. And I want you to know that this scripture is written for you. Let's read this. It's in Romans chapter 5, verse 8. It says, God showed his great love for you. God showed his great love for you by sending Jesus. Jesus, the champion, the undisputed, undefeated champion, the, the one who literally has every belt known to man, the one who will be on the throne, who will have the title for the end till the end of the ages. Jesus, the champion. God sent Jesus for you to die for us, for you and me. The ones who are 0 and 167,501, every lost guy coming by way of knockout. God sent the champion Jesus to die for you and I who haven't won a battle while we are still sinners. You see, God loves you. That's why Jesus came. God values you. That's why he gave his life for you. And so as we take communion today, my prayer is that you will know that you're valued and you're loved and that you will let God use that to inform how you feel about yourself so that you and I can engage in life in the octagon and win the battles fighting for what matters most. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, 
Lord, we are grateful for the love and the value that you have in us. God, we are humbled that you aren't a distant, far-off God, but that you are a God who loves us, but doesn't just love us, God, that you long to, for us to encounter healthy, life-giving, thriving relationships with others. And Father, I pray today as we hold the elements and we take part in this sacred moment, Lord, I pray that you would remind us of who we are. And Lord, today, may even by faith, may we embrace who we are. And Jesus, where there are gaps, I pray as we hold the elements that we would be reminded of the gap that was created between you and us because of our sin and the reality that Jesus filled that gap. And Lord, I pray that wherever the gaps are in our relationships or in us, that you, we would invite you to fill those as well. So God, we, we offer this time to you as a moment of worship, but also as a moment of commitment because you, Lord, are worthy of all of our praise. So we give it to you now in Jesus' name. Everyone said, amen.